Welcome to the Negotiation and Conflict Management podcast series. I'm glad I know that now. This series is brought to you by the NAC team. NAC, N-A-C, stands for Negotiation and Conflict. NAC is made up of a team of scholars who are passionate about the teaching, research, and practice of negotiation and conflict management and all related topics. We offer you this podcast series to highlight the work of global academic thought leaders who have a knack for negotiating and managing conflict. We hope you enjoy this episode. I am Michael Gross, your podcast host for today. Our podcast guests today are Jean Brett and Tyree Mitchell. Jean Brett is the DeWitt W. Buchanan Jr. Professor Emerita of Dispute Resolution and Organizations at Northwestern University. She is, or she initiated, Kellogg's course on negotiations in 1981. She's a founder and was the director of Kellogg's Dispute Resolution Research Center. She is now the president of Negotiation and Team Resources, a not-for-profit supporting research and teaching in the field of negotiation. Her 2022 book with Tyree Mitchell is Searching for Trust in the Global Economy. Tyree Mitchell completed his pre-doctoral fellowship at the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University and received his PhD in Industrial and Organizational Psychology from DePaul University. His research primarily focuses on three topics, including organizational leadership, work teams, and negotiations. His research has been funded by major funding agencies such as the National Science Foundation. And his research has been published in high-impact peer-reviewed press outlets, uh, peer-reviewed journals, including like the Journal of Applied Psychology and popular outlets like Forbes and Harvard Business Review. His new book with University of Toronto Press, Searching for Trust in the Global Economy, provides insight into the cultural differences that emerge when working with global business and forging trusting partnerships. Dr. Mitchell has also worked on research and consulting projects for several major agencies, such as the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, Department of Homeland Security, and Federal Aviation Administration. Today's episode is on their book, Searching for Trust in the Global Economy, published by the University of Toronto Press. Jean and Tyree interviewed 82 managers from 33 different countries. The managers were all engaged in various forms of new business development. Jean and Tyree asked them, how do you decide to trust a new business partner? Their findings reveal fascinating cultural differences in that process. And they also provide a cultural explanation for those differences. Hi, I'm glad you're both here. Welcome very much. Um, we're going to talk about your book, which I found uh, from what I've been able to see so far on it, uh, that is very compelling, um, and it's easy to read, it's easy to look at, uh, which I always like because I'm a slow reader. Uh, my, it's my favorite kind of book. So it made me think about my own ability to build trust with clients and colleagues from a wide range of nations and cultural backgrounds. And it made me think about my ability to be a culturally agile professional. So that's what I loved most about reading the book. Did you have a personal experience that brought you to writing this book? 
We'll start with Jean and then we'll ask, we'll ask you, Tyree, for your thoughts. Well, Michael, it wasn't a single experience that motivated me to do research on the question of how people in different parts of the world decide to trust a potential new business partner. It was really an accumulation of experiences because I was wandering around the world trying to set up negotiation research studies. Um, for example, the first time I went to Taiwan, Steve Chi and his grad students bailed me out of a not so pleasant experience because I was initially visiting a different Taiwanese, Taiwanese university. I didn't know Steve Chi at all. Why would he do that? But Ray Friedman, who knew Steve well and knew me well, had vouched for me with Steve, and that was enough for Steve. So with that experience, I began to really understand that brokerage and networking, third-party introductions worked really differently in East Asia than elsewhere. And I wondered what else was different about searching for and deciding to trust in the global economy. And I kind of roped Tyree into this project when he was a DRC fellow and uh, let him go on with kind of why he was interested. Sure. So, yeah. So in the fall of 2015, I met Gene and we started talking about some ideas. And this really doesn't relate necessarily to the motivation for the book, but I took a trip to Japan in November 2015 to go um to be present for the birth of my niece. And just for some context, my brother uh, is African-American and he married uh, a Japanese woman. And so their, you know, their kids are beautiful. And we went to go to uh, his aunt's house. And my mom, who's traveling with me, is an extreme extrovert. And she immediately tries to start taking selfies and is very loquacious uh, in this context. And I just remember the faces of uh, my, my brother's family uh, just being stone-faced. And it made me kind of reflect on the fact that, you know, when we started doing these interviews, there was a theme that emerged around talking too much in East Asian context being potentially harmful uh, for the trust-building process. And so as I think back on just my trip to Japan and just those interactions early on, it just made me think of how important this topic is, not just um, from a new business relationship standpoint, but just even in personal relationships. Uh, thank you both. Uh, we often think of the financial or economic skills associated with doing business in a global economy. But what are trust skills and how does trust matter in an inter international context? Tariq, can you take this one? Absolutely. So one thing we know is cultural context matters, right? Within the context of negotiating a new business relationship, when we were at, when we asked managers about the ways they search for information to make a trust decision and the criteria or standards that they were using, we found fascinating cultural differences. Um, those differences, like all cultural differences, are a matter of emphasis. So we found managers in East Asia in particular were relying heavily on brokerage to decide to trust. So this is much like uh, Gene's experience with Steve Chi, and then moving on to test whether the potential partner actually could deliver. Uh, being able to do what you said you could do was a very important criterion in, in this context. And it's somewhat complicated in terms of the test to figure out if someone can actually deliver. Um, that's somewhat complicated by the norms in East Asia for indirect communication. 
one of the things that we found when we talked to managers in Latin America was that there was a heavy reliance on social interaction, which we call goodwill building in the book. Uh, and this was used to assess rapport, right, or the degree to which they shared social values with a potential business partner. Moving over to Middle East and South Asia, when we spoke with managers in this context, they were relying heavily on goodwill building, but they were also seeking information about a slightly different standard, which is respect for cultural differences. Uh, we also found managers in the West were relying heavily on testing whether potential partners were open to sharing information and reciprocating the information. And so in short, you know, were they open about uh, things that were important and could they respect the other person or expect the other person to, to reciprocate the same? And what was particularly fascinating to us as we were analyzing the data is that these differences could not be explained solely by cultural levels of trust alone. And so data from the World Value Survey and other sources reveal that Latin America and the Middle East, South Asia are particularly low trust cultures relative to East Asia and the West. Um, but if that's the case, why then is rapport the primary criterion of trust in Latin America, while respect is the primary criterion of trust in the Middle East, South Asia? Why are Western culture managers focused on openness, whereas East Asian managers are focused on competence? Nice. Um, you, in your book, you argue that we need to take into account not just cultural levels of trust, but also cultural levels of tightness and looseness to explain the cultural differences you observed in the way managers searched for and decided to trust a new business partner. So cultural tightness and looseness may be a new idea for our listeners. What does this mean? And can you share some examples for what is a tight or loose culture? Jean, can you tell us about this? Sure. Cultural tightness looseness is a concept developed by psychologist Michelle Gelfand. It refers to the strength of social norms in a culture. In a tight culture, social norms are strong, they are monitored, and deviations from social norms are sanctioned or punished. For example, one manager from the Middle East, in answering our interview question, when we asked him, in your country, are there many social norms that people are supposed to abide by? And he said, in my country, there's a huge social pressure on everything. There's always a way to do things. And if you don't follow, then you'll feel that social pressure. Data published by Michelle Gelfand and her research team in science in 2011 reveal stable regional differences in perceptions of tightness looseness. East Asia, the Middle East, and South Asia, those cultures are very tight relative to, for example, Latin American cultures are looser and even looser Western cultures. Tyree, your book informs our understanding of tight, loose cultures and shows us the origins of some of the ways people around the world differ in their decision to trust, whether to trust or not. So what are some types of the surprising insights that are based on your research for this book? That's a good question. I think the big surprises had to do with how much tightness, looseness explained cultural differences. For example, we found more similarities between East Asian and Western cultures than we expected. Uh, in both contexts, trust is relatively high, and that explains why their focus is really on the potential business relationship and not on the personal relationship. 
but then the two cultures diverge in how they actually go about establishing trust. So a really good example is reliance on third party introductions, which we call brokerage. We have this quote from a Japanese manager that really illustrates this in a powerful way, where the broker is putting themselves on the line for trust in East Asia. So the, the example is if Mr. B introduces Mr. C to Mr. A, then Mr. A would trust Mr. C because Mr. A trusts Mr. B. And Mr. A knows that if Mr. C performs badly, then Mr. B will be very embarrassed and the relationship between Mr. A and Mr. B gets very weak, right? So there's a potential to lose face for the person who's actually making the introduction. And that couldn't be more different than in the West where one US manager told us, you know, you've got somebody that you do really well with and they're trying to introduce you to someone else. And the question that comes up is, what's in it for this person who's making this introduction? So very different perspectives and, and how much introductions by third parties are valued. I think another surprise was the difference between Latin America and the Middle East, South Asia, because in our prior research, we both knew going in that these were low trust relationship oriented cultures. What we didn't understand until we got deep into the data were the differences between rapport and respect. And to understand those differences culturally, well, we really need to go back to tightness, looseness. But Michelle Gelfin makes a further, deeper analysis of tightness, looseness in her book, Rule Makers, Rule Breakers. She describes ethnically homogeneous tight cultures like you find in East Asia, ethnically homogeneous Han Chinese, the Koreans are ethnically homogeneous. The Japanese are ethnically homogeneous. But when you move to the Middle East, South Asia, think India, and it's 250 some odd languages, Middle East and South Asian cultures are ethnically heterogeneous tight cultures. So remember, tight cultures have strong social norms, monitoring and sanctioning of deviance. What happens in a heterogeneous, tight culture is that the norms are the same and they're tight, but the mechanism for monitoring and sanctioning don't cross those ethnic boundaries of tribe, family, religion. So a manager from Palestine who had done business with Israelis explained to us in an interview Doing business with an Israeli is kind of like betraying your own group by doing business with the enemy of the people. But he went on to say that if he didn't do business with Israelis, where was he going to grow his business? So the emphasis on respect in the Middle East and South Asia, it's really a recognition that we are different, but we respect those differences. Whereas the emphasis on rapport in Latin America is about is is about learning that we have similar values, both personal values and values about how to run a business. Thank you. Um, your book offers a clear framework to help readers build new relationships across cultures and become more culturally intelligent. How does this framework guide us towards successful business collaborations? Tyree? Sure. So as Westerners, we may be inclined to think business first and that people can be trusted until proven otherwise. 
Recognizing that while that may be a safe assumption to a certain degree in the West, when you're attempting to partner with someone from a different culture region, he or she may have their own assumptions that will influence their actions, which may not necessarily match yours. Right? So the major benefit of cultural knowledge is that if you know what is culturally appropriate and normative in another culture, you can anticipate and correctly interpret the behavior of a person from that culture. Of course, having cultural knowledge does not necessarily mean you can jump the line, so to speak, or circumvent the trust process, but cultural knowledge should allow you to navigate the process of searching for and designing the trust effectively. Thank you. Um, the topic of trust is timely, but you also address trust uh, in the context of the pandemic. Um, how did the pandemic inform your research about trust in an international context? Jean? Well, we had just finished our interviewing before the pandemic broke out. And as a result, when we got our book contract, we knew we needed to address the question of how the pandemic had affected new business development. So in November and December 2020, in the midst of the pandemic, we went back to interview 21 of the managers that we'd previously interviewed. And we asked them, how has the pandemic affected your new business development? At the time, certainly not now, but at the time, those effects were least felt in East Asia where within-country business was being carried out as usual. In the rest of the world, new business development had pretty much ground to a halt in 2020. Managers were pivoting to doing business online, but it was a new experience for most, particularly in Latin America and in the Middle East, uh, and they were struggling. And even managers in the West were telling us that they were struggling developing new relationships. Yeah, so they gave us some good tips concerning how they were keeping things going. I think the first thing that's worth mentioning is to recognize the limitations of being online. We had a manager from Bolivia mention that being in the virtual space, you have less opportunity to get to know the other person and that time is very limited. So you don't start chatting about your family or how you grew up. And then we had another manager from Germany mention that it's the things you don't learn because everything is on the agenda. So if you do have an online meeting, you don't devote sufficient time to offline discussion which gives you important clues, right? So we certainly wanna be intentional and get creative about building relationships when, you're, uh, when you have limitations of not being able to meet in person. The second thing is to use your networks for introductions. So people you trust in your existing networks can introduce you to or help you evaluate potential partners. They can act like a broker for you. And this was something that uh, came up time and time again from the managers we re-interviewed re that there's really no formula for how to do this, but you have to seek out the people in your network who can be the most helpful to you and who are willing to be helpful. So not being afraid to use your networks as well. And then managing your risk by considering taking smaller risks that you might prior to the pandemic where you could meet in person, right? Uh, and so we have a, a great story uh, from one of manager from Saudi Arabia who talked about a particular transaction that they had closed, either like markets, uh, everything was positive across the board. They were willing to deploy bigger funds for this particular investment opportunity. However, because of their inability to meet the team face-to-face -face and put the eyes on, on the company, we, they decided to stage the investment. So instead of taking a, a much bigger risk, they decided to kind of manage their risk by taking a smaller one. And then finally, helping trusted business partners, um, excuse me, help, helping trusted partners with their business processes. 
and not necessarily associating with the current relationship, right? So sharing expertise, uh, we had one manager from Nicaragua explain that they were building some online tools uh, for a particular partner to help them sell their products. And it helped them uh, as well by expanding their business and, and letting other people know that they're out to help them and that there's more to, to this relationship than just business, right? It's almost like we're trying to help each other survive in this new environment. And so thinking about ways you can have an impact and, and share expertise, um, even if it's not necessarily uh, directly related to a particular deal. You know, well, I it's, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I was okay. It's you know, Tyree. It's interesting. They were also talking about two things in the fall of 2020 um, that I think have become even more important as we're still living with the disruptions of the pandemic. Um, and these were things they didn't emphasize quite so much or quite in the same way in the first round of interviews. Um, the first thing was they were even more concerned about building personal relationships alongside the business relationships. And this was particularly true when talking to um, managers from Western culture and East Asian culture, because Frankly, before the pandemic for them, and of course I'm speaking generally here, but for them business came first. As one said, um, if, if there's a business model, the personal model will likely follow. It was different, of course, in Latin America, the Middle East, South Asia, where if there was no personal relationship, then there's simply not going to be any new business relationship. But we think that the reason the Westerners and the East Asians were emphasizing personal relationships so much more during the pandemic than they had in the initial interviews is that they were they learned to lean in on old trust trusted relationships to get those introductions that they would cold call previously or to do the due diligence um, or to get the look on the ground. They had to rely on third parties for this in order to try to get some new business going. The other thing that was going on in the 2020 interviews is managers were talking a lot more about global economic, political, and health conditions and the implications of the global context for new business development. Of course, the whole point of the 2020 interview was to understand how the pandemic had affected business development. But our interviewees were talking about economic and political conditions, not just health. For example, um, one of our Middle Eastern interviewees was really inspired uh, by the recently negotiated Abraham Accords. There was those were um, signed between Israel and the United Arab Emirates in, I think, August of 2020. And that was the first Arab country to normalize relations with Israel since Jordan did so in 1994. Another example from our Chinese interviewee was concern about Trump the Trump sanctions and the future relations between China 
and the U new U.S. government, the Biden administration, and whether those sanctions were, would continue and what the implications of that were for moving manufacturing offshore uh, of China. I think the 2020 interviews really made clear that searching for trust in the global economy was not only about deciding to trust a new partner, but also about understanding your own and the potential partner's country's policies regarding economics, politics, and health. It was a recognition that we need to understand the environment in which that new business was either going to succeed or fail. Well, thank you both very much. It's been a very interesting, uh, and I'll say uh, engaging, exciting uh, conversation to hear about your book and hear about your research. Um, it certainly informs me uh, and uh, I hope all our listeners. And thank you both very much for talking with us today. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you, Michael. Thank you. What we learned today from our podcast guests is about searching for trust in the global economy. As our series name states, I'm glad I know that now. Once more, I'm Michael Gross, and on behalf of all of us, we thank our guests, Jean Brett and Tyree Mitchell. On behalf of our NAC team, Deborah Sai, Michael Gross, that's me, Jennifer Parlamis, Laura Reese, and Ming Hong Sai, thank you for listening. For more information about this and every episode, you can check out the podcast notes on the NAC website at www.conflictandnegotiationteam.com. So that's one word, conflictandnegotiationteam.com. There you can find additional resources and links to materials cited in each episode. Please tell a friend about our podcast, and we hope you will join us next time for another fascinating discussion about a topic you'll be glad to know about.